Ashley, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, now, Ashley, as a seasoned L&D leader myself, I can see how digital marketing and L&D overlap and how L&D benefits hugely when it steals principles and practices from digital marketers. But not everyone in L&D sees this. Could we start off by laying out the similarities between the two? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a huge amount of parity to to kind of kick it off, really. And the biggest thing for me is ultimately we're trying to get people to do things they don't want to do or mm-hmm. know about things they don't necessarily know about yet. So primarily, when you really boil it down to that, obviously, we're not talking about developing the learning itself, but more about how we get people to actually undertake it, how mm. we get them to start building different behaviors and changing habits when it comes to learning. So primarily, from my perspective, that is marketing and exactly Mm. what you said primarily why we can steal from marketing and you know beg borrow and steal as far as i'm concerned there's a lot of learning there and i think that uh, from what i've seen and with my my limited um experience in digital marketing um is that um especially with inbound marketing you're capitalizing on an interest and a need that has already been brought to your attention. So either either as an organization uh, who's selling stuff or or has services um, uh, that uh, that are of value to to the person who's looking into it, you know, people are almost coming and knocking on your virtual door, and then you almost you're you're adding value then uh, by guiding them towards finding the solution that best meets their needs. So so with inbound marketing, there's there's an education element within there, isn't there? And and one of the key words for me within the whole thing where I think the two really overlap is in influence because all a digital marketer can really do is influence an individual to do what the organization that they work for would like them to do. But again, in L&D, the, the organization that L&D um, is employed by is hoping that they can then influence people to do more of the stuff that they want them to do. Have I oversimplified that? No, I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, the reality is there are so many different stages of what you've just described as, you know, if you want to boil it down is a buying funnel or, mm. or some sort of buying cycle. And our learners still go through the exact same process. So, you know, a couple of things came to my mind when you were speaking there. Number one is we are in an attention economy and we yeah. know that we are competing for the attention of our people. We are competing with Instagram and all of the noise that it's on YouTube and Netflix. You know, if, if we don't come to terms with that ourselves as learning practitioners, that we are in a sea of noise and we need to Mm -hmm. get attention first and foremost, then what we need to do is start to prove the value of the learning experiences and start to build trust with our people. And that's exactly Mm -hmm. what you were just talking about. What you described was almost demand generation. You know, you're getting people to want to come to you rather than you always kind of having to push that energy out. And Mm. big thing for me around building different behavior, building behavior change when it comes to buying behavior or learner behavior is primarily around that building trust and being relevant. So being there at their time of need, you know, producing content that is of use to them, that is Mm. of value to them, that's all going to help you in terms of building trust and building repeat behaviors over time, whether you're a marketer or a learning professional. 
Mm. So you so point of need. There's there's a um, uh, some terminology that overlaps between marketing and uh, and learning and development Absolutely. because it's at those points of need that we have the biggest opportunity to influence. Now you also mentioned value there, uh, Ashley, which leads me nicely onto my next question because for L and D to recognise the similarities, we may need to look at the value that we add to our organisations and even our identities differently as L and D professionals. But that has already been the case for digital marketing. So so uh, when when that emerged from marketing was it not the case yeah I mean I think marketing has gone through a huge transformation in the past maybe 15 years you know Mm. we've gotten really really good at proving our value because suddenly the c-suite started looking us looking at us and saying hey you're blowing million pound budgets here what's the ROI on that what's Mm. the impact what's the business value of the money we're giving you and that you're then burning on advertising or whatever it might be And I think that's kind of the stage that L&D is at now, exactly the same where the C-suite is starting to really look at the impact and value that L&D is bringing to an organization. And we are then left kind of wondering, okay, well, how do we do that? Because we know things like completions and smile sheets and bums on seats aren't very adequate measures in terms of really understanding whether learning has taken place and whether knowledge and performance has been impacted. So primarily, I think that there is a huge transformation occurring and there's some learning from marketing that, again, can be borrowed and steal, stolen um, mm. to really enhance how to adapt and evolve as you start to have to prove the impact and ROI of what you're doing. Mm. And I suppose we'll get into that when we look at the, some of the, uh, the the nuts and bolts of what it is that uh, the, the, that marketers actually do. And you've identified some skills that cross over between digital marketing and L&D um, and you know, for, uh, for my part, I completely agree with you. And now you begin with personas and segmentation. What can L&D learn about these? Yeah, so I think as a marketer myself, one of the best strategies that I can honestly say have worked for me working in-house and genuinely trying to gain traction, increase brand visibility, and mostly, you know, get more, get more customers, get more leads, the biggest thing is understanding your audiences and really, really knowing what their emotional drivers are and, you know, getting to grips with their foibles and the things that they like, the things that work and don't work. And it isn't an ongoing experiment and a, a wonderful, heady, toxic mixture of failures and successes of which we learn from. And I think that, you know, from, from my perspective, that is primarily what personas and audience segmentation are about, is really taking that step back and using that opportunity to really understand who you're trying to reach with your marketing campaigns or even your learning content. Like sometimes I don't even know if that's really done when we develop learning, never mind the campaigns that potentially support it from an outreach perspective. But really what we're trying to do is get a better understanding of who these people are, mm-hmm. what their emotional drivers are. And for me, the biggest thing is really looking to fulfill what's in it for me and understanding yeah. that, you know, it's not good enough that in L&D, we're like, well, we've created this learning and it's really important to us as a business that you do this. It's not enough for learners and people who are busy. You've got to understand what's the value proposition from their perspective. Why should they even bother to interrupt whatever they're doing to do what you want them to do? And too many um, uh, L&D initiatives and, and certainly technology implementations come top down in which there is this naive belief that if there is enough content available, then there will there must be something in there for you if you just dig around long enough. And we call that yeah. self-directed learning. 
Like so, so, and you can see how naive that is. That it really doesn't matter whether you've got uh, ten thousand or ten million pieces of content. If you don't know who you're trying to influence and what it is that they are trying to do that they're not able to do without your help, then it really doesn't matter. And and then seriously, it's as it's as useful as a as a Google sh uh, search, if not less useful because at least Google's algorithms uh, try to provide you with some context, trying to understand where you're where you are. Um, uh, situationally uh, as much as uh, geographically, whereas an LMS just isn't as sophisticated uh, no. as that. So there's, there's something around the the dismissing uh, or, or at least challenging top-down um, uh, product launches and uh, and, uh, and and programs, but but also on the, on the personas element, I think that what L and D don't realise is that they have a head start. Their HR systems and everything that is uh, integrated with it provide an enormous amount of information on the people that they are seeking to influence. Mm -hmm. And whilst those may be outlines that still require colouring in. Those are outlines that that still need to be created for marketers. So so L and D actually have a head start. Yeah, I mean some those some of those foundations are better than I've had in some organisations I've worked at as a marketer, mm. you know. And I think I think the thing to be said about personas is. It depends, I think, on the mind of the person. Some people want everything kind of substantiated and, and aren't so comfortable with making some assumptions. And mm. the reality is we have to do that. You know, you can get a good mix of qualitative and quantitative data in order to really substantiate and bulk out your persona so that they feel really like cohesive and, and clear. However, the reality is, you know, there are going to be some assumptions. What you're yeah. then going to do is you start to execute some of your marketing campaigns or even some of your learning. Learning, you're, you're either going to prove or disprove those personas and hopefully mm. continuously iterate and evolve them. What we're doing is almost working with a live version of something that hopefully gets further information fed into it to help it change and evolve as you learn more about the people that you're trying to engage with, really. Mm. Because, yeah, as you say, because it's not a, a one and done experience. You don't just mm. create a persona and then and then that's finished because um, the, the as, as soon as you throw a solution out to a group of people who uh, who start using that in anger, like or, or certainly in service of what it is that they're trying to do. You collate user insights, whether that be user data or um, uh, more qualitative data around to what extent that is helping them with what it is that they're trying to do. And that kind of the rich data and feedback um, will always feed back and, uh, and inform the, uh, the, the next iteration of, uh, of those solutions again. I think bank stealing and borrowing from uh, from digital marketing. Yeah, and I think you know, I, I was as you were speaking there, I was thinking there's really very little in marketing that is a one and done scenario. Mm. I can only think of a small amount of instances, maybe when I've done like a brand launch campaign or you know done kind of more ad hoc event type stuff. That's very usually time based, actually, where mm. you where you'd maybe be like, okay, that's done, but you would still have benchmarked and you still would revisit that campaign and say how successful was that why or why not and you'd still be able to get some learning and insights from your audience even on these kind of off the cuff ad hoc type campaigns but yeah. otherwise everything that we're doing whether we're sending a single email building really complex uh, automation and drip campaigns we're constantly understanding okay what's getting better open rates what subject lines are working for us you know what's being more effective with this audience in terms of helping us achieve our goals mm. that never stops no and uh, and you've you've touched on there some on some uh, some smart tools that we'll come back to 
because uh, as you said, uh, digital marketing um, has been on this journey for 15 years or so. And so there are smart tools that, that pick up a lot of the heavy lifting that would put, certainly put L&D to shame. But before we come to tools, um, digital content development is huge in this. You've already mentioned there about uh, testing in terms of uh, the messages that you get out there, but th there's a lot more to digital content development than simply writing copy, isn't there? Yeah, and I think that, again, this is probably one of the biggest skills that I think L&D can take from marketing and really work on themselves, and that is really around that copywriting piece and that storytelling piece, first of all. Mm. You know, the amount of times I've seen content on a LMS, which is just like, this course will help you better understand how mm. to do, be a manager. <laughs> I, you know, I mean... Let's be honest, you know, I have this debate all the time. I work in B2B and there's this whole B2B, B2C debate. I don't think it exists because what we're really doing is people to people, humans yeah. to humans. And the sooner that we understand that our language and our visuals need to reflect the fact that we're talking to people. Yes, they're at work, mm. but they don't put on some magical business hat and, you know, they, they, they're still just human beings. And that that language I think needs to change and yes there is a bit of skill to that it's not something that everybody's comfortable or eloquent in doing but mm. again it is another fundamental part I think of marketing because without that it doesn't matter how great your campaign is and how much it gets people to your LMS if you're still if that component's missing you're gonna lose the clicks you're gonna lose the people actually at that really final hurdle which is a shame. Mm. This is where I think that uh, the uh, L&D needs to take that leap and and it doesn't replace the educational element but um what what I what I come back to time and time again is that there is this fundamental misunderstanding that corporate learning and development is education now I I challenge that and say that a small part of corporate learning and development may be education but the vast majority of it is performance support um, and guidance to do more of the right stuff. The, the education's ends are around um, testing, and it's, the, it's about a test of the acquisition of knowledge, whereas learning and development's only real um, uh, end is equipping people to be able to do something differently um, either in their current role or in preparation for a future role. It's only really about doing. And so that, so, so in the way you've just described it there, if, uh, if learning and development is fixated on providing content which is um, uh, precluded by um, learning objectives, you're already assuming that it's an educational problem. Whereas what digital marketing recognises is that when people have recognised they have a need, whether that is to consume, whether it's to do, uh, whatever it is, then you can anticipate what is coming next. I mean, digital marketing is really smart in in what could be deemed a very sinister way by by search by a certain search results recognizing when a woman is pregnant and at what stage she is. I mean, that's all the sinister stuff that you read. But yeah. but but what what but sometimes we might. Um, zero in on the sinister and not look at the broader opportunity that a lot of the time, especially when it comes to digital, people are just looking for help. And, and, and smart organizations and smart learning and development functions can be there. And so it's not necessarily about um, seeking an educational, uh, a formal educational opportunity, but simply seeking almost a ninja-like opportunity to bring people through a, uh, a funnel based on 
how useful that is rather than necessarily uh, anything sinister about, about getting people to buy stuff. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you use that example that you just used, for me, it all comes down to intent. And again, yeah. then goes back to the understanding of the audiences and their behaviors and, you know, mm. that data that we, that data set that we've talked about, but what we're really trying to do is be there at the point of need. And we, you know, God, I've heard that term in our industry for learning at the point of need for a year's mm. learning in the workflow, et cetera, et cetera. But what, you know, let, I'll give you an example for, I use Excel from time to time. I'm not very good at it, but if I need to, if I need to do something, I don't ever retain this information. I, I've Googled the same thing, how to build a certain sophisticated pivot table or something like mm. that, because I don't need to know that. I don't need to remember that information. So if you tested me on it, I would never learn. I will never be able to prove to you that I know that because yeah. I know I can just go search on Google, find that video again, and then do it. And it's no mm. problem for me. So I think that sometimes some of uh, L&D is very steeped in a kind of academic background. And a lot of mm. our platforms were obviously evolved from curriculum-based environments where exactly like you said, testing was such a big fundamental part of that, that we've mm. kind of gotten kind of really infatuated with that as well as perhaps the only way for really to be able to measure is to look at things like completions or knowledge retention, et cetera, et cetera. But I think very much to compound your sentiment is exactly the same. You know, people are not always accessing learning content because they have a specific learning requirement per se. It's much mm. more around the intent behind it and, and a very, very predetermined and quick need, which is often very quickly satisfied. Mm. So from my perspective, then, then we go back to what I was saying before, what we want to be doing as L&D professionals is building habits with people so that when they do have those points of needs, they know where to go. Yeah. They know the situation. They Okay, I want to go here instead of Google, because I know I'm going to get what I need and I'm going to find it quickly and the experience is going to be better and more relevant for my job than something I'll find on Google. Mm. That's where I think we're falling down quite a lot at the moment. And I think it's, uh, as well as the technical side, I'm just anticipating the listener here saying, yeah, but it's all right for Excel. What about for skills? And I, you know, and I think that it's really important here that, that we recognize in the past, we've developed um, topic-centric programs that, um, that isolate certain skill sets. And we think that by removing people from the context in which they perform and educating them on said skill set, whether that be communication skills, presentation, time management, uh, first line manager skills, then what we're doing is we are uh, providing enough uh, education for them to go back and then do something different. But um, what I, I always say to people is that um, it's very rare that those programs are timely. Because if you're a new starter, you're usually told far too much before you're, you, you then need to perform. Mm -hmm. If you're a new manager, you're largely neglected for, if not weeks, then certainly months, and if not years after you've become a manager. So you've got to figure this out in the context in which you're expected to perform and get results, because eventually you'll go on our flagship program. But what you are able to do is anticipate simply by by creating your personas and then speaking to people who have been there, done that, and, and got the pain of being a new manager to understand what it is that they were trying to do when they first became a manager and what was stopping them from performing. And this is really, uh, we, we've done this in, uh, in so many organizations and there's stuff like managers saying, well, I just wanted to know what the role of a manager was here. 
Right, so so there's really important stuff here. What do I do here? So it's so it's largely cultural as much as it is technical. When they, when they ask, what questions might I be asked? What might surprise me? What tricky conversations may I uh, engage in? All of this stuff riddled with with uh, with anxiety that all your purists will say, well, you can't learn that by by being online. No, you le- what you do is you learn that it, whilst you're actually doing it. The, the, the vast majority of the time. But what we're saying is you can also provide people with guidance and support to help them navigate those things in the absence of nothing else except fumbling along and making the same mistakes that have been made thousands of times in your organization already. It's, you know, it's not an, uh, uh, a replacement for something that was brilliant that, that now you're replacing yeah. with a digital resource where you're saying there was nothing there. Yeah. And unless you ask those questions, you'll never know. Like you, no, sometimes you right. do have to speak to the people. And, you know, again, something you said to me there, the anxiety, right? The, these mm. emotional drivers are what makes people really do stuff yeah. at work or, you know, buying new clothes or, you know, our behaviors are driven by emotions. And then we justify them later with logic. Sure. But, you know, typically a lot of what we do is led by, okay, there's a fear or there's an anxiety or there's excitement, whatever it might be be but particularly at work in the example you've used you know really put yourself in a new manager's shoes and how they feel and you know that that to me is you know I mean I know we're kind of talking a bit of a balance here between kind of developing actual learning to to solve some of those challenges but then you know the other thing of course is how do you get them to know that that thing is there for them in the first place and how Mm. how do you let them know that that exists because you don't want to have this amazing stuff that just sits gathering dust in your LMS or whatever way you're choosing to serve that up. So, you know, these two things need to be done in balance and, you know, not only great having credibility in terms of actually what you're serving them is of value and merit Mm. and really helping them on a day-to-day basis and delivering impact to them, but also that the, you know, the campaigns that are promising those, uh, those truths in terms of the quality that they're going to get are actually effective in driving people to where you want them to go. You mentioned in campaigns there, Ashley, again, a, a, a crucial element of the digital marketers toolkit, um, not necessarily just about uh, promoting what you have that might be useful, but again, a way of understanding what people are trying to do and then guiding them along. So how, how do you see campaigns then, which as, a, as, a, as an approach working so well in digital marketing and being a cornerstone of digital marketing, then benefiting L&D? So there's a couple of things, and I actually just did a, a webinar myself on this last week and talked quite extensively about learning campaigns. And there's a couple of things for me that I think we're not quite doing right. Number one is sometimes I've seen a campaign, which is uh, one email sent to a group of users or an, an audience set, maybe a post on an intranet or a Slack or a Teams or something like that. And that's it. So like a lot of time might be spent on building out a really complex learning program or maybe even implementing a new learning platform. And that's the amount of energy that's being put into actually raising awareness of this. So first things first, to me, a campaign is is slightly more, you know, medium term, at least like eight, eight to eight weeks to three months at minimum, Mm -hmm. I would say, because 
primarily what we're trying to accomplish with a learning campaign or a marketing campaign is consistency over time, keeping front of mind and maintaining visibility with our audience sets, because every single message we send them isn't going to hit them every single time. They Mm -hmm. might not open every email. I mean, let's not flatter ourselves. Our audiences aren't so entirely engaged that everything they get, they're like, oh, email from the L&D team. I can't (laughs) wait. You know, no, that's not how people are working. So we have to play a a game of, you know, kind of the terminology of throwing some stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. That's kind of what campaigns are. You know, we use multiple channels Mm. and we use multiple messages, different visuals, but the same kind of overarching theme. So, you know, if you were doing something around performance management, talking more about the the outcomes and emotional drivers rather than you know this is a program on performance management is likely to get much better traction with your audiences Mm -hmm. because we're going back to those emotional drivers and that what's in it for me piece rather than just a kind of mandate from the L&D department. Much more around um, uh, if we understand what it is you're trying to do then we can help you in anticipation of the the blockers to that the friction you might experience rather than what what I hear quite a lot is L&D teams want to want to create a campaign to let people know about the new platform. I said, no, like that's not the what's in it for me. People really don't want your new platform. They don't want any new platform. Or, or saying, we've just got a, a subscription to X um, e-learning suite. It doesn't matter. Your people really don't care about that. But if you've got something useful in there that might help a distinct group of people that you understand enough about that are not able to perform because of something that you have the answer to, then create a campaign based on the value that you're selling to them, not the content or platform that you're selling to them, because they really don't care. Exactly. And it is selling to them, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, that is exactly what you're doing. And, you Mm. know, if you want to, you know, I do believe that you should, you should launch a new platform, but it shouldn't be, hey, we've got this new platform, you know, very much Mm. to your point. It's, again, what, what is this doing for these people? You know, what, what, what do yeah. they, what do they need that this new system is going to give them, you know, okay. If you want to just say, Hey, it has all this new functionality and it's populated with some, you know, lots of different learning content libraries where you can't find anything. No one cares, as you said, and yeah. that's okay. Like the sooner we accept that our learners don't really give a crap about what we're doing and it's our job to actually make them care. I think mm. it will put us in good stead. It's it's so important to us in L and D mm. that we make the. I think we bridge this gap that actually it's really important to our people and it's not, and no. that's okay. And it, as as you were saying that, it just uh, it just made me think. Imagine um, a brand building trust with you, and you're following them. You're a, you're an avid consumer and a fan of what they do, and then they send you at the beginning of a campaign that says, "Great news! We've just started using HubSpot." It's like, I mean, yeah. who can, I mean, really, I mean, it really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've got to get away from uh, from thinking that everyone's going to be as pleased as we are that we've got a new tool and focus on uh, on the value that it can uh, it can bring to them. Yeah. Which moves on nicely because, uh, um, of course, if we're running campaigns, it keeps us away from single engagement. Um, uh, initiatives or or activities, which of course we've always secretly known offer so little in terms of what it is that we are trying to achieve in L&D. 
Yeah, they're a complete, uh, genuinely a waste of time. You know, like, for example, some of the best email open rates that I've ever had as a marketer through some of my automation channels where I've got quite an engaged audience and I'm getting 50, 60, 70% open rates sometimes, which is, you know, industry standards or what, 18 to 22%, something like Mm. that. So, you know, that is because that has been a consistent uh, and useful message over a period of time for them. So this exactly to what I said earlier, you know, these kind of single quick kill points, they're just a waste of everybody's time. They're not actually yeah. going to get the outcomes that L&D wants. And my worry truthfully is that they're going to dress that up as marketing and then say marketing doesn't work. Yeah. And actually, you know, it's because it's not being done in a consistent fashion over a prolonged period of time. You know, the way that I kind of have done a lot of my marketing strategies have been very much kind of a, an overarching brand campaign, which will sometimes span a year which is more kind of around our value prop, our, you know, our story, you know, the value that we're adding and, and kind of starting to get some advocacy and build up, you know, some energy behind the brand itself. And then I might break down each quarter into a specific campaign where I'm focusing on selling products, um, but obviously never just selling the products or feature sets. We're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, emotional drivers and needs that we're fulfilling, et cetera. So there's almost these like two different threads running at all times in, in marketing functions that I've worked for. And I think that's something L&D needs to consider as well as their own reputations internally and the L&D brand itself and how that's already perceived because, Mm. you know, that exists. A learning culture exists, whether it's something that you shaped and molded or not. People will have their own opinions and their own perceptions of maybe e-learning. I mean, gosh, for example, if I try to explain to people what industry I work in, which I'm sure you've tried to do and it's (laughs) always fun. And the, the response you end up getting is, oh, it's that where you click the next button and you, mm. you no, no, we do way more, <laughs> no, way more interesting stuff than that. But you know, you're overcoming that in the minds of your people That's too. Right. And mm. you know, so I think there's just we need to have a little bit of a reality check about where we actually are yeah. rather than where we think we are, because that will allow us to really start to understand where we can move the needle and where we can start to, to genuinely change things. Mm. I think such a, a key to this is uh, is data um, because it, I mean it's played such a huge role in the uh, the maturity uh, maturing of uh, of digital marketing and yet it's little more than an emerging trend in L and D. Um, I mean L and D there's been too much emphasis in the past with summative evaluation, which is looking back and asking did that stuff that we spent all that money and time on actually work? And so little in the upfront grunt work of is it a real problem that needs to be solved? So how do you advocate L&D get more involved with data? Well, first of all, don't be so afraid of it. You know, it can be such a scary place, I think, data, that a lot of us kind of move away from it because it's an area we're quite uncomfortable with. I am very mindful and aware that actually getting meaningful data in the L&D function can be really difficult because Mm. really if we're looking at proving impact uh, and correlating say performance with learning undertaken, something like that, or, you know, actual like effect on sales or product knowledge or whatever, Mm. whatever we're trying to do, it's not always so easy to get that information. So I think that's the first understanding is that, you know, the maybe the reason that that's, it's not always been so prevalent in our industry is that it's just not been very easy to get a hold of. Mm. But then I think secondly, you know, it is, it is, it is a bit of a wrangling of cats at times. I think, you know, there, there's so much you could gather, but primarily from my perspective, you know, 
the best decisions I make are based on data. Sometimes they're still wrong. And, you know, for me, data isn't an absolute. It's to help us hypothesize. So -hmm. maybe we get some information and we say, okay, well, we think that based on the data, this is likely to occur X, Y, and Z. You prove or disprove it, you know, don't use it as an absolute because I think that can be a dangerous place as well. That saying, you know, data means everything. And No, it's helping us inform and enhance our personas and enhance Mm. our campaigns and enhance our learning as a consequence. So I think that's one thing. And the other thing that I really don't see a huge amount of is benchmarking. And it blows my mind, truthfully, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, if you're going to do anything like in marketing, if I'm going to implement a campaign or, you know, spend some money, I'm going to see where I was versus where I end up is Mm -hmm. even if it's a tiny incremental improvement, you bet your bottom dollar that's going to go in my report and I'm going to show, you know, the value that I'm adding. And I don't, we don't do that a lot. You know, I, I mean, I don't know how many awards I've seen submitted in my time where it's, you know, well, the people kind of liked it. Everyone liked Mm -hmm. it. Is, I don't know. Is the C-suite satisfied with everybody just liking it? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a funny one. There's, there's, there's an enormous amount of L&D spend, which, uh, which organizations seem happy uh, uh, to, um, uh, to spend with the hope that there's at least a byproduct of value uh, rather, than, uh, rather than some intentional spend mm-hmm. to make an intentional difference. Um, and I think it goes back to a lot of the time that... Uh, that um, very earlier in a, in a conversation with a stakeholder or when decisions are made, a performance problem is translated into a learning need. So, so you might be there thinking, uh, well, you know, I've, 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 I'd like my, my people to become better at uh, project management. And all of a sudden there's a, oh, brilliant, a project management course. Right, so would you like PMI or would you like Prince 2? And so it, then it becomes about the educational format rather than the performance problem. People turn up and they then they say, I don't really know why I'm here. Of course you don't, because what we've done is we've distorted a real performance need and we've turned it into a learning need. So when it comes to it being delivered and then hoping that there's a difference at the end, there can't be mm. because the end has become the delivery of a program rather than, as you mentioned there, a hypothesis around um, a, a, a point of friction or a, or a need that people aren't able to either execute or manage and lead uh, projects. And here is the data that, to suggest that this is the case. Because as soon as you look under the hood and the, you, you say, all right, so, so at the moment we are not, we are not completing 80% of projects on time. There's your benchmark. There's, there's, there is a figure that we could work with. You might even want to look back to see what the trend is and say that, that since the beginning of the year and budgets have been here and uh, people have been working from home, this figure has decreased. So then you're thinking, ah, so there might be a correlation between people working from home or working remotely and then not engaging in these projects or it might well be the redundancies that uh, that happen but as soon as you start looking under the hood then you can start really focusing on what it is that people are experiencing and then look to move the needle but far too quickly L&D think ah I've got a program for this or I've got a friend who's got a program here and of course when you then look back summatively as in did what we bought or, or design actually work, you'll never know yeah. because you didn't do that benchmark work. You didn't look for one moment to see what the real problem was. We based our decision on minimal observation, stakeholder waiting or best practice. And that's it. Yeah. And you can't prove the ROI or, or uh, the impact on something based on either of those three because they are 
they're fatally flawed um, assumptions. Yeah, and they don't. They just don't add any value to what you're no. doing. And I think you know, it just I think you know, I, I've spoken to a lot of L and D practitioners as well, and one of the biggest issues that they complain about, or that one of the biggest challenges that they have internally, is that they don't always have a voice in the way you've just described to be able to actually push back and say, well, Hey, hold on a second. Why do you need, you know, why do you Mm. need this project management training? You know, why is the sales manager coming to me and telling me that they need X, Y, and Z? And and they're not necessarily given the voice to challenge in the right way. They've been a, they've been a cost center. They've been, they've been in a very much an order taking function, which is been built to be a machine of creating learning programs and training environments, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera that's the dynamic that really needs to shift. And I'm not sure L&D needs to wait for permission in order to really start doing that. But, you know, that to me is is one of the biggest issues that L&D is experiencing right now. Yeah, and actually, if the... If the uh... Um, the shoe was on the other foot, and this was uh, these were managers and leaders in a program that L and D were running. L and D right now will be saying, "This is where you need to lead." You know, it seems so easy when yeah. when it's not you, <laughs> but this is. But again, I get this all the time. Learning and development saying, "Yeah, but I don't have permission for this," or the expectation is X. Going, yeah. So what is required is leadership, and then you know there's a tactical element and a strategic element to this. But it's not going to be given to you, and you're certainly not going to gain support for change by saying yes to requests and and jumping at uh, uh, at what is minimal observation. But uh, but we digress. We digress because finally you advocate in your uh, in your skills that translate from digital marketing into L and D. You're an advocate of test, test, test. Now, what do you mean by this uh, in an L and D context? Very much kind of what I said earlier, you know, it's it's always going to be an iterative process. So, mm. you know, everything that I do and like we remember we were talking about campaigns and it's very much never really one and done scenario. And that's exactly what I mean by that. So mm. hopefully what I'm doing, everything that I'm setting up and sending out and, and the conversations I'm having are all built in a way that allows me to glean some level of insight into what's effective or what's not. And mm. so again, some of the functionality that we have in marketing is quite sophisticated and makes this stuff really easy. Um, and I, I'm very aware that again, the likes of learning and development don't always have some of this more sophisticated technology at present. God knows I'd love to develop some sort of marketing tool for learning. I just, you know, <laughs> can't code. <laughs> but I think, you know, primarily from my perspective, it is about giving yourself the space and opportunity to fail because that's where the real learning is. You know, some mm. of the most important pivots in my career have been around failures and understanding why something didn't work because that's helped me be way more effective in the next thing that I do. And then boom, you know, way bigger impact because, well, heck, that was a flop. Why? Mm. As long as you're asking why, and you're not just saying, well, that didn't work, you know, okay, we need, we need to take a step back and, and really start to understand why and dig deeper. And again, use the data to give us some hypotheses and start to understand a little bit more about what's working and what's effective and, and what's not, you know, nothing, mm. not everything we do is going to work. That is okay. Yeah. And you, you mentioned there about the tools and, uh, and I mentioned earlier, um, you know, HubSpot as an example, which can automate huge chunks of admin and guide consumers to where organizations want them uh, to go. Um, again, like L&D uh, would, uh, would like them to as well. Now, we've looked to incorporate a lot of these uh, into Loop. Um, but I wonder if you can uh, just explain what the, how these types of tools can help L&D. 
Yeah, so there's, a, I mean, automation is a really big one from my perspective because primarily it saves time. So, uh, you know, if you do a lot of your early doors work around understanding your people and, you know, really creating some good segments based on your personas and build out a series of automations and engagements that, you know, produce a variety of touch points across multiple channels with your contacts over a period of time. The beauty of that is that whilst it's not one and done, you can build it and let it roll so that yeah. your team is your team's energy and resources and spent on more, you know, outreach type stuff or things that are going to really move, move the needle quickly. And mm. this is the kind of, you know, if I talked about that brand and those campaign um, layers that I was mentioning earlier, you know, your automation piece can really help in just keeping the engine going and keeping that momentum and, and get you guys out of the inertia that you're sometimes mm. you sometimes have. So I think automation is a really big one. And, Again, I think there's a, a bit of reticence in our industry to engage with it because it's daunting and it's scary, but it's really, mm. it's not it's not that complicated once you get your head around yeah. it. And I think, you know, the the other tools for me are a really good email sending client. If, if you can start to use that and start to get better insights into your open rates and also be able to sell, um, send emails that are more visually appealing. And, mm. and, and actually, you know, you can start to measure where people are clicking and all that sort of stuff. Um, and the last one for me is Google Analytics. Please, for the love of God, install it on your platform. It's free. Mm. It gives you a huge amount of insight in terms of the behavior. Whilst it's anonymized behavior, you don't get to see Bob and, you know, Coventry did X, Y, and Z. But what you do start to see is cumulative behavior trends over time that will allow you to understand what content's being of interest to your people. And again, you can then use that to hypothesize and maybe create some new campaigns to target those areas of need. Um, but primarily it, it's just an incredible data source that you know tracks from the day you install it. So even if you don't plan on using it for a year, put it on there. When you're ready to use the data, then you have some data rather than collecting it from the day you decide you start needing the data. And that's the valuable part of this, that, uh, that as soon as you've got something that's working in the hands of those people you're seeking to influence, you, you start collecting data uh, and you know, just as valuably, um, and I know it's a subset of data, but user insights as well to understand to what extent you're hitting the mark and helping them to do the thing that they are trying to do. Again, capitalizing on their points of need rather than necessarily just marketing the content, which I can, you know, it's, as we, we, we talked about here, is a, it's a bit of a fool's errand. Yeah. But um, as, we, as we look to, uh, to, to wrap up, um, despite what many believe, L&D can actually be quite stuck in its ways. And, and the listener may think that what you've described is unattainable in their organization. But how would you recommend L&D folk get started with developing and incorporating digital marketing skills into their practice? So I think start small. Um, mm -hmm. You know, don't don't try and become a digital marketer overnight. Um, you know, some if you have minimal resource, some of the things I recommend to my clients is starting small. So running a pilot and just mm. doing a, a small campaign, maybe that just uses one or two channels or something like that, you know, so you're not biting off more than you can chew. You can also do your benchmarking and maybe actually get some data and impact that you could then go to your C-suite with and try and prove a little bit of, you know, this is what we're doing here. Yes, we didn't ask for permission, but look at the impact it's having or the benefit yeah. of that X, Y, and Z. So I think that that for me is probably the biggest thing is, you know, don't be too daunted with it. Even if you just look to, 
curate some really great media and marketing sources to help improve your copywriting skills or help you better understand how to become a better storyteller or how to write more engaging copy or what does it really take to make a good email. These are all fundamental components of a marketing function which don't need to be all learned overnight and you know I think those these kind of small incremental gains that we need to look at and we need to just start small and not overwhelm ourselves because if we do that we're setting ourselves up for disaster. Yeah I completely agree. Um, Ashley so if uh, if people wish to follow your work or connect with you on social media how can they do so? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. My name's Ashley Sinclair. You can probably find me putting some nonsense about dinosaurs and whatnot on there. And um, I would say the other thing is check out our website, which is www.mass-marketing.co.uk. Wonderful. And we'll put some links in the show notes as well. Fabulous. Uh, so Ashley, all left to say is thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. 